It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Um, this is Charlene Anderson, your wholesale sourcing expert, with a special question and answer podcast um, this session. We've gotten a bunch of questions in the chat in the chat on Facebook, um, general questions about selling on Amazon, and some very specific questions. And we'll also take any question in the chat room on TalkShoe that you want to propose. This is your chance to kind of ask me anything. Um, I hope you guys had a chance to at least review Ron's first photography seminar. Um, The replay is available on YouTube. Um, Or if you saw it live, thank you for joining us and putting up with a few audio issues in the beginning. But we edited those out of the replay, so they're not there. And we found out what the issue was. So um, next one, we'll be able to use the fancy green screen and um, not have any echo feedback issues and all that. It happened that the mic was left on on that camera that was facing the green screen. So it got Ron's mic and then also picked up the mic that was on the camera. So complicated stuff. But anyway, I think we had a lot of really good information and kind of confirmed that you don't need to buy a ton of stuff to do product photography for Amazon or eBay or even your own website. Um, it's just knowing what to buy because there is so much stuff out there. And, and as you've seen, Ron likes to try it all um, to see what works best for him because besides being his job for many years, photography is also his hobby and his passion. So, um, so he tries all these kind of things. But narrows down to using just very few of them. But it's kind of nice to know, I think, what all that stuff is for and why you might need it or why you might not need it. Um, So it saves you some money that way so you don't have to buy stuff and then realize it's not going to work for you. Um, We also have a giveaway for everybody who attends the next live one, which will be on the 25th, so that's a week from this coming Friday. the, the um, live participants, there'll be a prize given away. And I will bet you it is something every single person in the Facebook group will be able to use, no matter if you are Android phone, um, iPhone, using a point-and-shoot camera, whatever. You will be able to use it. So it's really cool. So I, I love giving stuff away. And this is something that I would like to win, so that's always Always fun. Yeah, prizes are fun. Um, So we'll try to do as many as we can. Um, It just keeps things kind of fun and interesting and guessing. So so, um, just a reminder, if you have questions about the photography thing, please post in the Facebook group and tag Ron. And please don't forget that there are homework assignments because he's going to be talking about them at the beginning of the session. showing them on screen, and then commenting on what worked, what didn't work, what, the most important thing, why it didn't work, and the very most important thing is what you can do to make it work. I mean, it's all well and good to knowing, yeah, that's not a good picture, but if you haven't learned how to make it what you want, it's kind of pointless. Um, so, so that's what he's going to be doing. We're also going to be demonstrating um, taking photos with your smartphone. Um, because that's pretty much I could guess pretty safely that everybody in the group has a smartphone of one variety or another. So that's a camera you always have with you, which is kind of convenient, and he'll be demonstrating that um, in a couple ways. One will be wide shot camera actually showing him setting up and taking pictures, and then another one, his, um, can't, his phone will be mirrored on the computer screen, which will be a live feed, so you can see clearly what buttons he's using as he explains them. Instead of just trying to hold up a camera to a video camera um, and you get all that weirdness going on, 
we've set up a way to actually mirror the camera to the screen so it shows exactly what you're um, doing and what you're seeing and what the image looks like on screen and then what it looks like when it's imported and all that. Because from the homework we've seen, um, there's a lot of variation in how the pictures come out. And we just want you to be able to see them and figure out what you need to do to personally um, fix your own things. And I think Ron was sort of joking, but I, I knowing him enough, I don't think he really is. He says the photography thing is going to end up going like six sessions because everybody has something special that they need to learn about photographing their products. So I'm thinking he could go forever on it, which is kind of neat because when everybody gets their, their special things dealt with. I mean, we know jewelry is a major issue. We had a post in the Facebook group about photographing mirrors, um, which is another one that, that could be an issue. We had um, someone ask about photographing crystal and glassware and, their, and just shiny objects in general tea kettles, all those kind of things. Um, there is a pretty simple secret to doing it so you don't have yourself reflected in the shiny object or so you don't have the lights that you're using reflected in the, in the photograph also. Um, we found that with jewelry, little metal beads can reflect like the light bulb, the, the image of the light bulb itself can end up showing up in one of those tiny metal beads. And it just, it may not look bad, but it just looks wrong. And there, there are ways that take zero money to fix it. So you'll be learning about that too. So, so anyway, so let's get going on the, the questions that came in. I put the dog in his crate, so he's not going to whine while we're sitting here talking. Um, and Ed, yes, you need to do your homework. And anybody else who hasn't done their homework um, please do it because that's how you're going to learn is taking images of stuff you regularly sell and figuring out what to do with them. So the first question we had was a really good one from Beth about Amazon brand registry and what is it and how can we use it to our advantage or should we worry about it? So um, fortunately, I ran through the whole process of Amazon brand registry with one of my suppliers. In fact, it's my biggest supplier. I sell more of their products than any, any other supplier of mine. And um, so we have a really good working relationship. So I was able to, to suggest to them that they um, go through the process of the Amazon brand registry in a way to help control their brand on Amazon. So what it is, it's a process on Amazon that a brand owner, in this case, XYZ company, um, in other cases, it could be Gillette, it could be whoever makes the products and owns the brand, registers it on Amazon. So we as individual sellers don't do it um, because we don't have the rights to that company name, etc. Um, I would suggest if you if you have suppliers that you have good working relationships and you want to help them protect their brand, especially from counterfeits, um, that you encourage them to go through the process and maybe help walk them through the process. Because for me, it was, it was um, really helpful. This is a big company who makes jewelry making tools. And um, most jewelry making tools of the consumer level are made in Asia. Um, India, Pakistan, China are the three big suppliers for them. Um, and so you can imagine that the factory that made the high-quality tool for, for XYZ company, when the line is shut down for making them, they're going to use the molds and the dyes and all of that to make lesser quality ones. The metal might not be as high quality. Um, the grips on the handles of pliers may not be as ergonomic. Um, they may not be polished and finished as well. But what companies had been doing were taking these knockoffs that they're finding on places like Alibaba um, and selling them on the listing that um, is the brand name listing. Instead of a generic product of, of the plier, they're listing it under the brand name product when it clearly isn't. It's like 
when the frozen doll counterfeits came out, they were listing these under the brand name and Disney. Um, so, so uh, we met with um, the owner of the company at a trade show last January and talked to him about brand registry. And he didn't know anything about it, though he has four really big sellers of his product on Amazon. Um, I'm probably the third biggest of them. Um, the one is a place with like 50 employees and, you know, they just crank out stuff. So so we talked about it and he decided to do it. So um, his um, assistant, um, the office manager, and I walked through the process of registering XYZ Company as a brand on Amazon. And it, it actually wasn't too bad. It was a couple pages of um, things to fill out you know, what is the brand name? Do you have it trademarked? General questions like that. If you do prove you have it trademarked, you know, you basically have to prove that you are the owner of the brand. Um, and then when it's done, it doesn't like magically keep um, people from listing on that brand. As far as I know, unless you're a mega brand, like, you know, Dunkin' Donuts or it'll be a mega brand, Amazon just doesn't automatically lock down your brand's listings. But what we have discovered it has done is that it has made it a little, and I say a little because it still has a little more difficult for other people to massively change their listings, like removing their brand name and changing it to their store name. Um, somebody was doing that. They were taking you know, their part number, everything, and changing the brand to... Um, jewelry suppliers, Inc., or whatever, you know, just to, to try to trick the system and the search thing. If this will make it somewhat more difficult to keep those kind of things from happening. It hasn't um, changed the number of ASIN notifications I get for the stupid changes from the flat file things, the description changes, or the, um, the crazy weight changes where they take it out to eight characters or uh, eight digits for the weight of a product, those still come in as much. But I talked to uh, Peter, the president of the company, last week about this um, because I noticed there was a new company called Korea Wholesale on their listings, which is rather ironic because these products are not made in Korea. They're made in India or Pakistan for this company. Um, and I, so I sent him a message. I said, you know, Korea Wholesale on here. And I'm guessing based on the prices that you aren't selling to them. And he said, no, they're not. Um, they are working with Amazon to try to get them removed from, the, uh, from Amazon, period, for selling counterfeits. Now, I find some irony in the fact that we hear every day about I got my account got suspended for this or that. And here is a company who is consistently selling counterfeit products on these listings, and yet they're still active. And he said it had been going on for like two months. So I don't know. That's the inconsistencies with Amazon. So the brand owner is saying, I do not sell my products to this company. They are knockoffs. They are not an authorized dealer, but yet they're still there. So he has gone so far as to find a couple of his suppliers do test buys. Um, and they bought them and found out that they aren't this company because they don't have the name stamped on it. Um, this company has their name stamped in the metal in the hinge of the pliers and stuff. Um, and so the, the test buys come out. They get them and find out they're not them. Um, the test buyers do what they should. They report them uh, to Amazon, and they leave negative feedback, but they're still there. So... It's a frustrating, a really frustrating situation. So, um, so if you, the upshot is, if you have a company that you have a good working relationship, and I'm thinking um, of Elizabeth here that she might want to help um, a company she deals with register as a brand on Amazon to help the counterfeits out. Um, if you look back a few podcasts ago, we talked about her issue. Um, with somebody stripping labeling off a package and trying to sell it as their own of a trademarked uh, item. So it'd be like you taking all the labels off the frozen dolls and selling them as yours, you know, just because you remove the label. So, so it's, it's something to keep in your arsenal. It's also something 
the brand registry I would suggest you use when talking with new wholesalers who have never been on Amazon. So you, you find a company and they, they don't have anything on Amazon, nobody's selling their product there, and they have no idea about it. If you can help them walk through the brand registry process, they will be forever grateful because you are, are kind of minimizing a whole lot of issues that are going to line up later because they've registered before a mess has been created on Amazon. So they're controlling that a little more. Um, and as a follow-up to that, if they're amenable that you help them do it, um, and, and by help do it, I would say, um, you know, you give them the links, you tell them, you know, if you have any questions, let me know and I'll help you. That's all it really takes. Um, the three that I've done, once I got them the link, they have not had an issue um, with um, doing it. It's, it's pretty self-explanatory, which is kind of surprising for Amazon. So once you get them doing that and say, oh, yeah, we're going to do it, and then you can move into, how about giving me an exclusive for your products on Amazon? Because then you can totally control your brand on Amazon, meaning you're the only one who can sell them, you make sure the listings are perfect, etc. That is that's a two-part. I don't know what the word is. Um, plan to get a new wholesaler in your pocket, so they they will find a reason to make you the exclusive seller. Doesn't the exclusive doesn't always work? Um, it didn't work for my big company, obviously, but that's okay. But it, it's put me in really good graces with them teaching how to do it. With the other two, it did work. So I did the list uh, brand registry for them, um, and now I have the exclusives um, for those products. So, so it's something to keep in mind when you're negotiating. Um, for them, it's not difficult. It doesn't cost anything. It may take an hour at the most to do it but it's a way for them to protect their brand. So Beth, did that answer um, everything you needed to know about brand registry? So we'll see what Beth says. And while we're waiting, I'm going to get my next question out. Give me a second because now I can't find it. That's just, ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. I thought it was Elizabeth who asked it, but I am not sure. So bear with me. I'll try to keep talking and do it at the same time, um, which is kind of like, you know, patting your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time. But everybody's been really talkative this morning, so um, it's obviously, here we go, um, slid down. Um, Jennifer. Pershing Simmers, who is in the group I know as Calavig, um, asked a really, really good question about ROI and what kind of ROI do you look for? Um, and then she had a second part of the question, do you recommend avoiding wholesale items that have a listing with multiple sellers on it? So ROI, I want to, before fees, at least be able to sell it for twice what I've paid for it. Because then when all is said and done, I'm looking at about 25%. And I say about because it all depends on the weight of the item, what your inbound shipping costs will be, what category it is in, because fees vary by category. But if I'm researching and I find that I can't at least sell it for double what it costs me, um, I move on to that. Um, and that's, that's pretty much a hard and fast rule because I don't want to work on razor-thin margins. There are lots of people who will work on um, a net of 5% after everything's said and done. I would rather have that 25%. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't want to work more hours than necessary to make the level of income I want. And I think when your margins get so tight, you're putting in more hours per dollar. I mean, if you extrapolate it out, um, what you made per hour based on that final net figure, which is the one that really, really counts in the end. None of the others count. You'll find that keeping your ROI um, 
as um, as high as you can is great. Now, um, that said, there are some items that you may be willing to take a lower ROI on because they sell fast. They um, they are easy to process. Maybe you don't even have to touch them. Maybe it's something that you buy by the case and get sent from the manufacturer right into Amazon, and you don't even have to touch it. So you may be willing to take a smaller ROI on that kind of stuff because basically all you're doing is placing an order and fronting the money. You're not putting in a ton of hours. Um, I have one product that is slightly under that 50% for me. It's like at 44 or 43 or that, you know, uh, ability to double. I can't quite double the price, but I never have to touch the product. I order it online. Um, it gets shipped by the case directly to Amazon where Amazon labels it, and then it sells. So I pay $12. It sells for $23.38 right now. Um, but I don't have to touch anything. And I have net 30 terms with my supplier, which means I don't have to pay them for 30 days after the invoice. So ideally, I get them all sold in that 30 days, and then I rinse and repeat. You know, when I'm about a week out of product, um, I order another case and haven't set in. So I, for them, I do one case at a time. Um, inbound shipping is really cheap. It doesn't have to be processed by me. So I'm willing to accept less there. If you have, say, a bundle that you've put together that takes time gathering all the products and organizing things and boxing them and all of that, you will want to get a higher ROI on those because your time is involved in them. And so often we forget to um, value our time when we're working on, on things like that. You know, sure, it's probably fun to build the bundle and all that, but after a while, you realize you're going to have to start paying yourself and pay rent and pay expenses and all that kind of stuff. So, so be aware that the hassle factor is a big one in determining what level of ROI you're going to take. Um, I really, 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 really don't want to see you guys doing something with a real low ROI. Um, for one thing, it's a lot of work. You have money tied up. If, if your ROI is low to start on a product, it could be that um, the price will go even lower and all your profits will be wiped out. And that's a horrible place to be. So if, as you're researching, you may say, well, I'm willing to, at the end, make 5% on these products. But what if the some bozo comes in and tanks the price on it, and all of a sudden you're losing money on everyone you sell. So don't play it so tight that um, um, that you can get in that situation. And so Beth says she has a line of small light that turns over fast, so don't mind the 25% after prep service. Yeah, because you're not handling it. You're having a prep service do it, and you factored their fees in. That That's fine. 25 is fine. It's those people who say, oh, yeah, my, uh, in the end, I'm doing 5%. So I sell something for $100, and after all said and done, I've made $5 on it. Well, one return will kill you, right? There's no uh, wiggle room in that kind of situation. So it's just, it's not, it's not my business model. It's not a business model I recommend um, for you guys, especially if you're just starting out. I think you have to look for the higher ROI. Now, conversely, when you're buying wholesale, it is very seldom that you're going to find those killer things that you can occasionally get from retail arbitrage or online arbitrage or thrifting. You are very seldom going to find a wholesale item that you could buy for $10 and sell for $50. Um, those kind of things don't happen either. But the upshot with the wholesale part is you don't have to run around to every Walmart or Walgreens or Target looking for them. Um, you can have a consistent supply that you, you replenish either by a phone call or an email or a web order, depending on the company. So the trade-off um, 
retail arbitrage versus wholesale is the simplicity. So you're not going to have those killer margins, but you are going to save tons of time and gas and frustration. And wholesale price uh, products, for the most part, are less apt to do those huge spikes in prices. Um, you're not going to get, you know, a bottle or a box of Cheerios um, that will stay consistently at a price of $20 a box because it's some crazy flavor or something or some candy that's a crazy flavor. Your wholesale items, and it should be your goal, are consistent sellers with, with little, if any, fluctuation in price. There will be some. Um, if you get bozo sellers who come in and think by dropping the price $10, they're going to sell more of them. Um, but for the most part, it's a much more steady, consistent way to find products. Um, you will not be um, in the same boat as 500 people who went to a sale at Walgreens and all bought the same product and all get them on Amazon at the same time. So supply and demand takes effect, and all of a sudden, huge supply, same amount of demand, what's going to happen, the prices are going to go down. And that's especially hard with seasonal products or with food products that have an expiration date. You know, with knitting needles, it's not, not a, such a big deal that um, you might have to sit on them a while because they're not going to go bad. But, but food products and things like that, or seasonal products, um, you know, Halloween, Christmas, um, Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, the demand is not going to be so great the rest of the year. It's going to be leading up to it. So, so it's, I, I just think wholesale is the future um, of all of Amazon. I've had a few people disagree me, with me saying private label is the future of Amazon, but I don't believe that. Um, very few companies, let alone individuals like you and I, have the, the capital to build a brand. And just watch Shark Tank once or twice, and you will realize that building a brand is far different than naming a product and putting a label on it. Building a brand is having that recognition. When you think of XYZ, what products do you think of? Well, I, when I think of um, cookware or kitchen utensils, OXO comes to mind, OXO, that company, it's not going to be um, David Jones's kitchen supplies. You know, That's labeling a product. That's not branding a product. And I wish a lot of people pushing private label would be honest with the difference. Labeling is far different than branding, and it takes an incredible amount of money and time to build brand recognition. So when someone thinks of that kind of product, they think of that brand name. You know, you think of laundry detergent, first thing that comes to my mind is Tide. Well, Tide has spent millions and millions and millions of dollars building that brand recognition. And we as small sellers can't do it. So that's why I think the future is still wholesale. Private label may have a small place in it, but I don't think private label is going to be a long-term viable solution um, for most people. You may find one product that does well for a while, then everybody sees it's doing well, and everybody goes to China and buys more of it, and all of a sudden supply and demand and the price is in the, the toilet. You know, I watched a product, um, ice cube trays for spherical ice cubes. Um, they make big round ice cubes, bigger than a golf ball, but smaller than a baseball. But the theory is, one big cube will not melt as fast and dilute your fancy drink like a whole bunch of small ice wheel. And they were a, a big thing, and people were getting the first month or so like $20 for each one. And they were all private label products. You could tell that they were all pretty much the same thing. You could also tell when a product like a specialized ice cube tray has a 1,000 reviews that that's probably not legitimate reviews. Those are either paid reviews or friends or whatever for the most part, especially when they're all five-star. Um, so I watched the price and watched the price and watched the price. Last I looked, they were, they were all add-on and they were under $5 um, because that's a case of supply and demand. Not everybody's going to be looking for a giant spherical ice cube tray to make ice to put in their, their after-dinner drinks or whatever. Um, 
So and answers coffee now. Yes, everybody's into coffee because there's a couple of sellers who've done very well with coffee and are selling a course on how to private label and sell coffee. Um, I don't think Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts are going to be worried um, about the competition from them. It is it may sell hot for a while, and if it just has that magic spark, one particular brand does something and gets the right publicity at the right time, it may go. But is it a long-term strategy? I don't know. I don't know if private labeling coffee is. I kind of don't think so. Um, there were a lot of people in Hawaii trying to do it because of Kona coffee. The only place you can grow Kona coffee is in Kona. Um, and um, they had a very difficult time building a brand where they were the growers and the roasters and all that. I mean, we have several coffee companies here in my little town um, that are trying to build a brand, and I don't think any of you have ever heard of them. You know, So it's, it's a hard um, road to hope. You know, it really is. Um, be aware of it if you want to get into it. Um, but it's not, I don't think it's something you should jump into immediately when you start selling on Amazon. I think you need some experience with everything. Um, and Beth says the veggie spiralizers, yeah, a bazillion listings and no real differentiation because they all got them from the same, they all came out of the same factory in China and they all bought them maybe from different Alibaba or AliExpress listings. And, you know, there's, I mean, really, a veggie spiralizer is not a must-have item, you know, um, in your kitchen. Coffee is a better bet because it is, you know, in probably 90% of the households, someone in it drinks coffee. So that may be a little better choice. So um, Sue's asking, um, what's an add-on? An add-on is an item that because of its price and the the accepted theory is that about $10, it can't be purchased prime by itself. So, so I ran into it with some shampoo um, that I wanted to buy. Um, Amazon had a two-pack for $6, but it was add-on. So that means I had to buy at least $25 of other products sold by Amazon, not by a third-party seller. They had to be sold by Amazon in order to get this shampoo. Um, so it's, it's a position you don't want to have products in. You kind of want to stay over $10 um, seems to be the, the accepted number that below that things will go and add on. So I have seen items in the 20-some dollar range be add-on. I don't know if it was a coding error or a fluke or what, but it's not always under 10. And not every item under 10 is add-on either. So there's no consistency. If this Amazon came out and told us, then we'd know for sure, but based on a lot of um, evidence um, and reporting by a whole bunch of sellers, $10 and under will most likely be an add-on item to an Amazon Prime seller, meaning they can't buy it just by itself. They have to buy $25 more of items sold by Amazon. So they couldn't go in and buy $25 of your products and then get the add-on item. It has to be sold by Amazon. So hope that answers your question. Um, the next part of um, Jennifer's question was, do you recommend avoiding wholesale items that have a listing with multiple sellers? Um, no. I, um, I kind of recommend avoiding listings where Amazon is the seller unless you can see that it's an Amazon warehouse deal that there is the reason they're selling. Um, but we as individuals cannot compete with Amazon. We don't have the money to buy in the quantities they do. Um, you know, they're willing to lose millions and millions a year to become you know, the, the top dog in the online sales field. So I, would, I don't avoid them with other sellers. Ideally, there will be no other FBA sellers, and that is the case in a lot of my listings. Um, the the big player in the field is purely Merchant Fulfilled, and every morning I hold my breath that they're still Merchant Fulfilled. Um, and I'm okay going up against them because um, you know prime buyers want prime stuff. Even if the price is a dollar more, they want it prime because they want it in two days. Um, but conversely, if there are a ton of, and for me a ton is like 10, 
I know I have a slightly skewed um, position from a lot of sellers who sell these fast turn items. Ten is a lot for me. If there are ten sellers and they're all FBA, I will probably skip that one. Um, I even skip products in a line that I carry that somehow they've gotten a whole bunch of sellers on one particular product in that line, and I just let that one go. Um, the more people on a listing, the more the opportunity for the price to keep being lowered and lowered and lowered, whether it's from people who don't understand how to get in the buy box or people who price a penny below and then somebody else prices a penny below and then somebody's automated repricer comes in and prices below that and all of a sudden your $29 item is now like $12. Um, I have noticed that the more sellers, the more that is apt to happen. Um, that doesn't totally um, mean that it won't happen, even if there's only one other seller, but it's less likely to. And if you sell in a particular niche, you will probably learn who the other sellers are and what they're like, um, what kind of practices they have, um, you know, what are other things they sell and all that. So... It, this is an opportunity, all right? So you get on a listing and there are three other sellers. And then you have another item in the same niche and the same three sellers are on. And the same three sellers are on another one. And then the light bulb goes on and says, I should see what else they are selling because maybe they have a product line that I don't know about. And I have found a couple of good sources that way. It kind of goes back to the industrial espionage that I've talked about in previous podcasts of signing up for email mailing lists from retailers in a, your niche. So if your niche is pet supplies, find some medium size, small size, large size, get a variety of online retailers in the pet niche and sign up for their newsletters. Um, so with pets, it could be Doctors Foster and Smith would be your big one, and then uh, your small one be, would be a mom-and-pop company that makes custom dog collars. But by signing up for these, you will open yourself up to a whole opportunity to learn about your niche. You will find out what everybody is talking about. You'll find out what are the hot new products that they just got in from a trade show that you couldn't get to. But they say, look, we just got this item, you know, it's brand new, and well, that means, ooh, you could go find out what that item is too and see if you could sell it because you're getting email lists from online stores. You're not getting from Amazon sellers necessarily, so they may, these products may not even be on Amazon. Um, one of my best-selling products I found in exactly that way from an email blast from an online-only knitting store. And they sold yarn and all the tools. And they had this hot new tool. And I had never seen it before. And I go to a lot of trade shows, um, but never seen it. So I, con I found the manufacturer there in Israel and contacted them and got the account. And it is my best-selling product. And it is fast and easy to ship. And it's light. And I can get, um, get them here in three days from Israel at a cost of $2 an item. And they cost me $14. I sell them for $38. Um, that $14 includes the cost to get them here. And I can't keep them in stock. I sell them as fast as she can get them to me. So, so that industrial espionage, I know Beth has tried that and said it's worked up for her too. But, um, but don't rule out um, doing it on Amazon too. So finding a seller who sells products in your niche who looks like they are a successful seller, um, who I always look at the feedback to see if they've got like bad feedback um, on certain products or a product line. Um, surprisingly, a lot of the big sellers don't know how to get product review feedback removed. Um, and then, you know, look at the products and if something strikes your fancy, find out who the wholesaler is and where you can get it and see if you can sell it too. Um, especially useful if the, the seller on Amazon you're, you're spying on is only a merchant fulfilled seller then you can come in as an FBA seller and corner that part of the market. It's, it's a way to do the research of following in the footsteps of someone who's done the research. 
because I know the one big one that I follow, I know that they are every trade show, and they are, you know, they have dozens of employees, so they are getting the latest information from everywhere. And I might miss something. Even if I go to the same show they do, I might miss something that they have found. And it's, um, it's, it's an interesting thing. So Beth says she's found a couple things by looking at what competitors sell. And um, um, Jennifer says that she's also found RA items that way too, re- retail arbitrage items. So um, I, it's just another way of looking for products. And if you don't think big companies do this, they're crazy because they do. You know, you can't know everything about every product, and by using um, someone else's research, it just helps you. Um, so don't be ashamed to do it. Um, so maybe I'm going to give you guys some homework if you haven't already done it. Um, before the next podcast, I want you to find at least three email newsletters that you can sign up for from online sellers in one of the niches you carry. So it could be health and beauty, it could be gourmet grocery, it could be pet supply, it could be tools, it could be um, um, you know home goods, whatever. But find at least three and sign up for them. And you may find the first one is just like useless. Then you know unsubscribe and find a different one. But I have about a dozen that I get every day, and it takes less than a minute to look through all of them in total to see if there's anything worth it. You know, you can be pretty discriminating. They usually only feature um, one new product in each one. That seems to be how they go. And um, and you never know what you'll find. Beth says her um, employer has people dedicated to finding competitive intelligence. Oh, I love that term, competitive intelligence. Um, yeah. So, so it may, yeah, and we have to use it um, or do it in a way that suits our business, our time constraints, our money constraints. Um, you know, if money's no object, you can hire someone to do all this online, and all they do is sit at the computer all day and research stuff. Um, probably not going to happen. I don't want to have employees do that. I think that's the most fun part of all this is finding the products um, and using my judgment and knowledge and you know, kind of gambling, am I playing this one right? Is this really going to be as good as I think it is? Um, and the the more you do, the better you'll get. Um, you're not, not everyone is going to be a great one. I've had my fair share of duds that I've had to dump or have returned and donate. Um, but the more you do, you'll find out you do better in your choices. You really, really do. So use whatever tools you can find to keep your knowledge um, of everybody else's. Um, I think by sourcing wholesale, um, you'll be able to find more products than retail arbitrage people. Um, the newsletters I sign up for, um, I th- is that Bayoni? I think it's Bayoni. Um, the full name isn't on my screen. Um, another new member, and welcome to all you guys who joined. I sign up for the newsletters from um, their own sites. So one I sign up for is um, knitpicks.com. They're an online knitting store. And um, while very little of their information gives me products to sell, it gives me trends. So um, whatever your niche is, um, you find some of these. And I suggest finding, you know, different size. Find a big company, a medium company, a small company. Because the mom and pop company may be on the latest trend in dog collars. You know, what is the latest fashion? Is it paracord dog collars? Is it studded dog collars? What's, what's the latest thing? And then that will give you some idea of where the trends are because they've probably gone to trade shows and promoted these products and see that this is where it's going. So just you can just Google um, whatever your niche is and just poke around on Google and just subscribe to their mailing list. Um, and that's all it takes. If you find it's not useful, unsubscribe and subscribe to another one um, until you have a, a nice stable of ones that, um, that give you good information. I'm doing a bundle that I kind of discovered from one of these com- companies. It's another knitting company. And they're putting, they put together a bundle of products that I found from them a couple years ago. So, so this knitting tool guy makes these tools, and I've been selling them all individually. 
And for the most part, knock wood here, I'm the only Amazon seller on them. I don't know why, and I'm not going to question why, but nobody has thought of doing it. But this, this company that I found them in their last email, they put together a nice little bundle of the tools that makes really good sense. And I thought, well, geez, I'm going to swipe that idea, um, have Ron photograph the products, and put the bundle up on Amazon um, with my own wording, obviously, and my own um, bullet points um, from the products and all that. But that's using their information. Obviously, they found it's worthwhile to sell these products together. So um, so suggest it's their own websites that you'll find. And um, most of them at the top, at the very top, will please subscribe to our newsletter. Or at the very bottom, it'll say subscribe. And just fill that in and, and have the information come to you so you don't have to go out and find it. So, so um, I'm looking for the next question. Um, the multiple seller issue that Jennifer brought up is an interesting one um, in that um, it can be scary for a new seller to in two instances. If you find a really good product, say you've done some research and you've gotten some newsletters in the pet niche and you found a really cool pet bowl that you think is just going to be wonderful. You know, you're a dog lover or a cat lover and you know that you would buy this in a heartbeat. And you go to Amazon and it's not on Amazon. That can either strike fear in you because, oh no, what do I do? Or it could be, oh hooray, I'm the first one to find the product. Um, for me now, it's the hooray, I'm the first one to find the product. When I first started out many moons ago, I started on Amazon in 2002, so 13 years ago, it was scary. It was actually terrifying because I had no idea how to make a new listing. Now, I've discovered that it's pretty easy to make a new listing once you know how. Um, so in a future um, seminar, we will walk you through making new listings um, for the new people who haven't done it. But the advantage of finding a nice product that not is on Amazon is twofold. One, at least for a while, you'll be the only seller. And hopefully you can build up momentum with a product um, before someone else finds it. The second one, which I think is a hugely overlooked reason to um, rejoice when you don't see products on Amazon, is that you have the opportunity to make new listings and do them right. And yay, we have someone who loves new listings. Jennifer, yay. And you like it, Jennifer, because you can do it right. You know that your title is right, that the brand is right, that the description is right, your keywords are right, the weight is right, it's in the right category, you can do it right. And that's, I don't love making them, but I don't mind it um, because I know at least to start it's right and I have some control over that listing. So I don't have to worry that my knitting needles end up in the tools and tools section or the automotive or whatever stupid people do who make these listings. Um, I know it's going to end up in the, the knitting tools and supplies section at least till somebody goes and messes it up. And then the chances are, because I made the listing, I have a far better chance of getting it corrected because I am the one who made the listing. So um, to the new people out there who are just starting to source wholesale and looking for new products, do not let it scare you. Um, you can always PM me or you can put a message in the Facebook group and we'll walk you through it right there. Um, the plan is to have a seminar on doing it too giving you the ins and outs of making that listing. Because um, it it's a powerful tool, and it will set you apart from the people who all they can do is go to Walmart and scan products that are, and find if they have a listing and move on. You'll find a lot of people um, who do retail arbitrage are not willing to make new listings. So this is another opportunity for you to set yourself apart and build yourself up. And Buffy, I hope you get account um, account with the one you're looking for. It's like it's awesome. Um, so, oh, you, uh, they tell me to look on Amazon and tell them one you created. They'll say, yeah, and look how well I represented your brand. Didn't I make your brand look really good? Didn't I have good pictures? Isn't the title just what you wanted to say? Look at those bullet points. They 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 want to encourage someone to buy it, and they give them the information they need. And my description 
isn't full of gobbledygook and useless characters and, you know, massive run-on sentence that it, it actually describes the product. And use that as a selling point. And you can also use it as a selling point with new people you're looking at. You can show them a listing you made for a company that wasn't on Amazon so you got it and say, look, this is how I represent, um, this is how I represent products that aren't on Amazon. This is what I will do for you. And I used that at the last trade show with a company. And I showed her a listing I did on another product and said, um, said, look, I will make sure that you are represented correctly and you have the opportunity to just contact me if there's something that you feel could be fixed or enhanced or whatever. And we'll work together to make sure your product shows the very best it can on Amazon. Um, that will be really important to especially new companies starting out, but it will also be important to companies who maybe have some products on Amazon that aren't being represented well. And you can say, look, for all the new products, I will make sure that you are happy with how that product shows on Amazon. Um, they can't control that nearly as much on you know, third-party websites as, as they can using you on Amazon. So it's another selling point. So Buffy, definitely call them again and they, you know, and remind them that Q4 is coming up. They want their products well represented on Amazon now because the Today Show said yesterday that 10% of the people in America have the Christmas shopping done already and it's September 16th. They're done. They're not started. They haven't made a list. They are done. So people are buying Christmas already. So use that as a point. Say you don't want to miss out on all this Q4 sales um, on Amazon. So let's just get moving. Let's get your product up there as soon as we can. Let's get it in the warehouse so you can take advantage of this. And if you've got sales figures that you can quote, you can say Q4 is 60% of my yearly sales. Do you want to miss, you know, a huge growth in your business by missing the, um, the Q4? No, they don't. They just don't quite understand it, um, especially if they're a smaller company who's not been through this and they don't, under, um, they don't understand um, the power of Amazon. Um, Ed, I haven't thought about anything either, um, so there's no way I'm in that 10%. I haven't even made the list yet, you know. Um, so, yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to see what demographics they had on that survey. And if I can find it, I'll post it in the group. But but this is, Buffy, I think this is a really, a really a good time to contact them again and just say we can't procrastinate. I want to join you in the Amazon Gold Rush this Q4. I mean, that sounds kind of cheesy. Use something a little better than that. But, um, but you know, let, let's get together so we can get this going. Um, um, and see what it does. Let us know in the group. If um, if it works, I think it might when they realize uh, that, you know, oh, my gosh, Christmas is here and um, the stuff has to be in Amazon warehouses because, you know, Prime is what motivates so many buyers on um, on Amazon. So, um, so yeah, maybe you, that was kind of cheesy, the Amazon Gold Rush. That sounds like an infomercial, but I'm sure you can put it in your own words um, to um, to make it sound a little – um, less cheesy because I I am not I'm not a fan of cheesy selling you know I just kind of like to be open and honest with them and say here's why I'm politely pressuring you right now it's because the clock is ticking and I think your product will do really really well on Amazon but we can't wait any longer because what I have to do to get it there is I have to get the product from you. I have to process it here, and they don't need to know what processing is, putting a label on it or bagging it. And then it has to be shipped to several of the 50-some Amazon warehouses around the country. In the meantime, I have to develop the best listing I can, the best catalog page on Amazon I can to show your product in the best light. And that takes time and research. So we really need to get moving on it. Maybe that sounds a little bit better, so not quite as, as cheesiness as the previous one. So, um, so yeah, Ed, I agree. Uh, I'm not a huge Christmas shopper, um, but I shop a lot to send stuff into Amazon. 
and that's kind of the fun thing about doing this is you can spend tons of money and um, then get tons of money back out of it. Um, I just placed a couple orders this morning, and I have to tell you, when I started that, I started with $100. Okay, I started in 2002. I decided to get serious about my business. So I started with $100. And I started, at that time, you could only sell books and media on Amazon. So I started doing books that I had around the house and then buying books from some publishers and then finding books at thrift stores. And then um, when Amazon opened up other categories, I just kept expanding and expanding. So, um, so. Don't feel that you need a lot of money to get started either. Um, I want to encourage all the newbies. But my point of this was I started with $100, and my first wholesale order was someone who let me buy $50 worth of crafting things, jewelry-making things. Um, Bless them because that got me really started because I was able – I sold those on eBay and was able to turn around, and I could – after all fees, I doubled my money. So now I had $100 plus the other 50 to keep going, and it just built that way. so I don't want you to think you have the ton of money, but the shopping part will come that when you make an order, like a reorder from a company, like I reorder from one particular company every week, um, and you'll drop a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars, and it won't seem like such a big deal anymore because you have built up the knowledge and the expertise on the products, and you know how fast they sell. That you know you'll have your money back very quickly on that. Um, it's a bit daunting when you first see the first, you know, four-figure um, sale or order. It's like, ooh, geez, you know. And then you kind of become, I don't want to say numb, because you never become numb to spending money because there's always a consequence you have to be aware of. But it's not as scary because you become more confident in your ability to judge products and to buy products and to know how fast they will sell and how um, – how you can keep the money flowing to make sure all the bills are paid and all that. So, so don't be daunted by people who say, you know, I just spent $10,000 at this company. That wasn't probably their first order from that company. They had to build up to it too. So, so you know, I am not a huge one to risk a lot of money. In fact, I'm like risk averse with money for the most part. Um, I'm not one looking telling people to go get loans to fund their Amazon business. I think, um, I think you have to be careful. And especially those of us in the group who are not, you know, 22 years old and just starting out, um, if you're a more mature person, um, like Ed is, I know, and I am and Beth is, we're, we're, we're not old, but we have some experience under our belt. Um, you realize that you cannot risk everything because you can't work forever, you know? I mean, I, I want to work as long as I can, but probably 80 is going to be my limit to working, so I've got 20 years to go. Um, but, you, but it's harder to start over when you get older. So, so those of us who have a few more years under our belt are probably less um, risk tolerant than somebody who has nothing to lose. If you're a college kid and living at home and, you know, don't have a car payment and, you know, mom cooks dinner, you may be more willing to risk your savings um, because there's not a huge downside. You have many more years to build it back up if things go wrong. But when you have things to lose, like a house and a car and, you know, kids' college educations to fund and all that, the whole risk thing takes on a different um, point of view. Um, so, um, yeah, Ed, debt is trouble. Well, Ed, you're like not 20, okay? Neither am I. Well, being honest here, you're not old. You just have a few more years of experience, um, which is pretty cool, right? Um, Buffy, excellent point, because we learn from our mistakes, and we know, I think we know faster than a, a fresh out of college student when it's a mistake, um, we may we're 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 more quick to realize that yeah that was a dumb buy why should I keep beating the dead horse there let's just dump it and move on versus someone without a lot of life experience may not realize it as fast so there's a bunch of huge advantages you know to having those miles under a belt I mean I wish I knew what I know now but had like the 22 year old body you know that would be like the perfect situation um, you know. Um, Ed, you say you're working on it for early retirement. 
Um, I, that's an awesome, awesome plan, but I bet you like doing it so much you won't end up retiring really. Because you've got to admit, some of it is so much fun. Some of it is hugely frustrating, um, just massively frustrating. But in the end, it's kind of fun, you know? It's like, because, yes, we answer to our customers 24 hours a day, but it's not the same as um, having to deal with outside pressures of a, a, a corporate job. And, you know, a lot of us um, understand what that's like, too. So, um, yeah, Buffy, the 22-year-old body with this experience, she'd be out of control. I agree, because we could, like, go on six hours sleep or five hours sleep. And we could just go, go, go. Not anymore. It takes about eight hours for me, you know. Um, um, but it is, it is kind of funny. Um, ah, okay, Ed, early retirement from the day job. There you go. And I bet you'll keep doing the Amazon thing, even if you didn't have to, um, because it is fun. And I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer, and I'm going to preach a bit here before we sign off. Um, I think everybody has to have a purpose in life. And a purpose doesn't necessarily mean a job. It could be a volunteer position that you just love doing. It could be, it, it has to be something. It could be, you know, um, a minimum wage job at somewhere you love going to. It, but there has to be a purpose. Um, if you don't, I think you will age far faster than someone who has a purpose. Um, I've seen that with, with individuals in my extended family. My mom is 80. My mom is the secretary treasurer of a national organization with hundreds of thousands of members. Um, and she does all the book work on the computer. Um, she has an iPad, an iPhone, an iMac that she works on. Um, and she has something to keep the engagement of the mind going and learning new things. And I think that's part of it. With Amazon, we're never going to know it all. We're going to learn something new every single day because it changes. Um, so I think part of the reason that my mom could kick most 40-year-olds' butt in most things is because she is incredibly active, mentally and physically. And I think that's really important for all of us as, as we move through life. I mean, she just spent four days driving up here in her RV to spend a week with me. Pretty awesome, you know? Um, you know, climbing up and down the stairs. And she said she's thinking about looking, she's thinking about looking for a one-story house because it's getting harder to run up and down the stairs to do stuff. And when she says run, yeah, it's kind of like that trot up the stairs. She still does it. I just think it's just awesome. But it's because she wants to keep doing it. So I think the takeaway for all of us is whether we retire from our day jobs or from Amazon or whatever, have a purpose in your life. Um, yeah, my mom rocks, Buffy. She does. Someday I'm going to get her on here to talk about her business experience because she was a businesswoman starting in the 50s when Women didn't usually start companies, and she started in a male-dominated field. They made nuts and bolts for airplanes. Um, and she, she and my dad are what I learned, where I learned about business. You know? So I'll, I'll have to get her on here to talk about what it was like to build a business in that way and what things translate to this way. So, um, so there you go. So thanks, Mom, for everything. Thanks, Dad. Um, my dad passed away about 25 years ago, but um, I'm really, really thankful to both of them for everything they've given me. Um, and not, not stuff they've given me, but the knowledge they've given me. So, yeah, and I, she, I don't think my mom will ever get old, Buffy. She looks like 60. She's like some freak of nature, you know. So um, when we go places, um, people think we're sisters, which is awesome. And I told her the last time we went somewhere, I said, great. Pretty soon, I'm going to be the older sister. You know, how's that going to be, Mom? You know, it's like, anyway, um, are there any other questions um, that you guys need answered today? Um, put them in the chat room. If not, we're going to sign off because we're past our hour. Um, remember, a week from Friday, the 25th, is going to be the next um, photography seminar. I want you to do your homework with the pictures because that's the only way you're going to learn how to make them better is showing what you have now. Ron will analyze them, show you, what we can, show you how to fix what, what issues you're having. So please do that homework. Also, please do your homework of signing up for at least three newsletters from online stores in a niche you sell in. It doesn't all have to be the same niche, but it does help. So, so if you sell in more than one niche, say you sell in pet products and in scrapbooking, 
sign up for three in each of those niches, a pet one and three scrap, three pet ones, three scrapbooking ones. Um, you'll get a really broad insight. If you can find more, sign up for more because it's very easy to unsubscribe if you find they are not serving your purpose. Um, and I bet you'll get through all of them in less than five minutes every morning. You know, look through them, find if there's something you need to follow up on, and then do it. So that's all for today. We will see you in the Facebook group with any questions you have there. Please, the group is yours. Um, if you don't want to post a question publicly in the group for whatever reason, please send me a private message. I've tried to make sure that we're all friended um, in Facebook. Everybody in the group is a friend of mine, so the messages come direct to me, and I will definitely answer them as fast as I can and as best I can. And if I don't know the answer, I will find the person who does and have them answer you because I, I think every question is a good question when you're learning something new. So thank you guys, and we will see you on Facebook. Have a great day. Bye-bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.